Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tonight's video is brought to you by Hunt a Killer. The holidays are fast approaching, and I'm sure you're itching for something new and exciting for the whole family this year. Many of us still have to stay inside, but the board games just aren't cutting it anymore. That's where Hunt a Killer comes in. For those who don't know, Hunt a Killer is a monthly box subscription service where you and your friends and family get to become the investigators of a fictional cold case. Each month, Hunt a Killer sends you a box filled with evidence and important goals for that part of the investigation. You'll dig through documents, witness statements, look closely at physical evidence, and even crack codes in order to find new clues and break open the case. One of the best things is that Hunt a Killer starts at only $25 a box and provides hours of fun without the risk of someone storming off angrily. Plus, a portion of the proceeds of every box goes to the Cold Case Foundation, a real-life organization working to crack real-life cold cases. If this sounds like something you or your family would be interested in, do not hesitate. Click the link in the top of the description and use code DAVIS for 20% off your first box. That's code DAVIS for 20% off your first box. And thank you again to Hunt Killer for sponsoring the channel once again. Something has marked my family. My family's always been lucky. And I don't mean in the vague general way people talk when they say they feel lucky or blessed. I mean my family particularly, my mother and grandmother, have always had very wide and deep lucky streak. Some of it is small stuff. My mother tends to win at cards or bingo. She never has to sit in traffic or wait in lines. The rain always seems to stop before she steps outside. Same is true for my grandmother, who has lived a very full and interesting life full of much adventure but no real personal mishaps. But there are larger things as well. My family has always had a lot of money, mainly through some combination of the women's business ventures and lucky occurrences. Most of it would be barely noticeable from the outside, with the only flashy example I can think of, my grandmother winning 50 grand at Atlantic City before I was born. You would think people with this kind of luck would be die-hard gamblers, but instead, they strictly avoid betting and any serious games of chance where money is to be made. I used to think they just didn't like gambling, but now, I know better. 
They didn't want to attract any attention. It's the same with how my grandmother dresses. I swear she puts on makeup to make herself look older, not younger. If we were at her house, she's in workout clothes or jeans without any real makeup on, and she doesn't look over 50. But if we go out, she wears high-waisted pants and dingy flowered blouses tucked into the elastic waistband, and she has so much powder and blush on, she looks like an 80-year-old clown. The strangest part is, she's actually 86. No health issues, never been sick that I know of. Same for my mother, who, at 58, people mistake for my sister. I don't mention myself in any of that because I've never been especially lucky. I mean, I've always benefited from their luck in some ways, and I wouldn't consider myself unlucky, but I've always joked I don't have the Robinson women's luck and that I must be adopted. I even remember when I was 10 or 11, upset at the time by some childhood misfortune, asking my father if I really was adopted. He picked me up and gave me a hug, telling me that I definitely wasn't, and I'd get that special luck one day too when I was older. He was smiling, but then he glanced up and his face fell. I looked around and my mother was standing in the doorway giving him a hard look. He never talked about luck around me again. The other side of all this, which I'm coming to realize more now, is that other people around the women in my family have abnormally bad luck, too. Growing up, I didn't really think about it this way, but when I sat down recently and made a list of every significantly bad thing I remembered happening to people that I worked for or knew my mother or grandmother, the list was over 30 people. Bear in mind, I'm not counting people dying at an old age or getting into a light fender bender. I mean cancer, dying young in a freak accident, permanently crippling disease, insanity. And that's just what I remember and was aware of in my 28 years. My grandmother, mother, and I are all only children, so we have no real extended family on that side. But I know that both of my father's sisters were dead at relatively young ages before I was out of high school. I say all this because I want you to understand how strange my family is and why I didn't see it as a bad thing growing up. They seemed special, and I wanted to be special too. Three months ago, I was on the way to work when I saw a transfer truck jackknife in front of me. It was a four-lane highway, and at just after eight in the morning, the road was filled with traffic, but the area immediately around the truck was empty. At first, this seemed like a good thing, and I began slowing down, ready to brake or dodge as necessary. Then I saw the front of the cab turning toward me, even as the rear of the tanker it was carrying did the same. Before I could react, the tanker swung at the side of my car so close I could see the dirt on the chemical warning signs hanging above the taillights. And then it moved past and ahead of me as it completed some doomed arc. It had missed me by inches. The truck began to roll at that point, and then I was past. This took all less than ten seconds, but... It seemed agonizingly slow, 
and I was so petrified that I didn't slow down again or look back until I was half a mile down the road and felt the car shimmy as the tanker exploded behind me. From what I later read, cars slammed into the truck and found each other trying to avoid the growing accident, with later cars stacking up and crushing those in front. When the truck exploded, it set fire to over a dozen other vehicles, and this just made everything more chaotic. All told, nine people died, and another fifteen were badly injured. I had just gotten a new phone and called 911. I thought about staying at the accident, but I didn't know how I could help, and I was scared, so I went on to work. I sat in the parking lot for several minutes, still in shock. Finally, I went in and told my friend Beth what had happened, or at least I started to before I started crying. When I calmed down, Beth told me she had news. My position, which had been based on a temporary grant, had been made permanent, with a significant raise. It didn't feel right to celebrate with what had happened that morning, but I did find my mind guiltily wandering back to my good luck, and by the time I left work, the accident and my own close call seemed more distant. I went to the grocery store before heading home and managed to get a parking place up front, get right through the checkout with a newly opened cashier, and somehow get home without any major traffic snarls. All pretty pedestrian stuff, right? Which is why I didn't think anything about it at first. But over the next couple of months, it kept happening. I got a random refund check from an insurance company I hadn't used since college. I now always had to time things right. I got the good waiter, the helpful phone customer service rep, and the honest plumber who tightened one bolt for free and fixed a drip I had listened to for six months but couldn't afford to fix until now. Everything just kept going my way. There were just two problems. The first thing that I kept noticing was the bad stuff that seemed to happen more often than those around me. Beth's car got keyed. My neighbor's mother broke her hip. My ex-boyfriend, who I'd broken up with just a couple of weeks before all this started, suddenly lost his job of eight years. I'd always been aware of my family's luck, but now I was seeing more of the other side of it, too. Second problem is, I feel like something is with me all the time, watching me. I started noticing it within a day or two of the accident, and the sensation has grown stronger over time. Some might be comforted by that feeling, even thinking it's a sign of a guardian angel, and maybe that's what it is, but it doesn't make me feel like that makes me feel like a bug under a microscope, and the eyes studying me aren't necessarily kind. It could be that this is all in my head, but I don't think so. Either way, I need to get some answers. Either way, I need to get some answers. I tried to call my grandmother, but she's on a trip in Ireland at the moment and gets bad cell service in the small village she's staying in. So, that leaves my mother. I didn't speak to her often anymore. She'd always been a hard woman to know, and as I got older, I realized she didn't know her daughter very well either. She can't understand why I won't take her money or the jobs she's offered, and I do want to make my own path in life without her giving me everything. 
If I'm honest, maybe I also like being the one thing she doesn't get handed. The one thing she can't win. Either way, I forced myself to call her and we're having lunch tomorrow. With any luck, <laughs> yeah. She can either tell me what's going on or, better yet, make me realize I'm just being silly and seeing a pattern that isn't there. In any case, I'm writing this out to document what I've experienced and I'll follow up once I know more. One last thing. Yesterday morning, I woke up to a brief but sharp pain just above my right ankle. Sitting up, I looked at my leg and saw a mark there. An inch-long wavy line with two dots nestled within the curves. Maybe it's a scratch? I don't know, but I don't remember hurting my leg and it looks too uniform to be accidental. Combined with the pervasive feeling of being the prisoner of some invisible gaze, the mark feels more like a livestock brand. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's see what Mother Dearest has to say. I found this latest writing upon waking, and I can tell that there will be more to this. I feel sleep stealing over me again, so I'll stop here. I'll post again when I can. As always, thank you. Here's the next portion, with more to follow as it comes to the hand. I don't know when these things occurred, but it seems apparent that at least some of them transpired some time ago. Still, I have hopes I can glean something from these writings, and I have hopes for this girl. My mother lived about five hours away from me in one of the wealthy and newly trendy parts of Atlanta. In truth, she had two other houses in the United States, and my grandmother had another four here and other parts of the world, but she always came back to Georgia, being fond of referring to it as home base. So it wasn't overly surprising that I got lucky, yeah, I know, and she answered her condo's phone on the third ring. Like usual, the phone call began with an awkward exchange of pleasantries, but I pushed through it quickly and told her I wanted to come see her very next day, and that I had some things I needed to ask her about. I could hear the measured consideration in her silence, but when she spoke, her voice was even. Of course I should come, but I could try to get there by one for lunch, as she had dinner plans and still needed to make some arrangements for some functions that she was sponsoring the following week. I agreed that I'd get there as soon as possible and was going to launch into some kind of farewell, but I heard the line click as she hung up. When I arrived that afternoon, I checked in with the front desk of the building and waited as they called up to verify that my mother was expecting company. Moments later, a large man in a blue blazer stepped out of a nearby elevator and approached me. He looked strange in the coat and dress pants he wore. His hard features and cold blue eyes framed by close-cropped blonde hair and an air of barely restrained violence. I looked at the breast of his blazer and saw his company's logo stitched in small, inconspicuous lines of silver thread. Tattersall Security. He gave me a nod and a perfunctory smile as he reached me. 
identifying himself as the head of my mother's security detail. I thought about asking questions, but decided to save them for her instead. He led me back to the elevator and went up to the penthouse area, which was comprised of the top three floors of the building. A couple of the other men that were clearly security stood near the entrance to the area. And as we went from room to room, I saw another couple of members of the household staff that I didn't recognize. This also seemed a bit strange, as she'd kept the same housekeeper and butler slash valet since before I went to college. Then we were outside again, on a large patio, my mother sitting at a table, frowning over a laptop. It had been a while since I'd seen my mother, and again found myself amazed at how beautiful she was and how young she looked. At 58, she looked half her age, with rich, honey-colored hair that tumbled down past her shoulders and cradled her perfect features. Large, gray eyes, an elegant nose perched above a wide and curving lip that always seemed to be on the verge of laughing, which was odd, as I'd hardly ever heard my mother actually laugh. Still, she was a striking woman, and her effect on most men, and some women, was clear and palpable, as was effortless. Yet despite that, I don't know that she ever dated or had been with anyone since my father had died when I was 17. Whatever her flaws, I think she truly loved him, and I think losing him broke something in her. While we'd not been the closest before that, it was after he died that I felt the wall between myself and my mother harden into something that was far denser and cold to the touch. That cold distance was never more obvious than when I was with her in person. Feeling her gaze weighing me in those moments before she spoke. Good to see you, Eliza. Please, come give me a hug. I did, as I was bade, and then sat across from her. She went back to the laptop for a moment and then closed it with a snap. So, to what do I owe the visit? It's not that I'm not glad to see you, but I have to admit it was unexpected. During the drive down, I had debated how to broach this discussion, and ultimately I decided that direct was best. I knew that my mother knew what was going on, or at least knew a lot more than I did. There was no way she lived with it for this long and not figured out at least some of it. My plan was to launch into it with little preamble and keep at it until she gave in and told me what was going on. I was about to open my mouth when she spoke again. Wait. That's a lie, and it's unfair to you. I know why you're here. You've got the luck, don't you? (laughs) Got the luck. The phrase was a succinct but apt description of the situation, and it struck me that it almost made it sound like the luck was a disease. Which, maybe it was. All I said was, yeah, I do. What is it? She smiled, her bright, winning smile that was compelling, even knowing that it was wholly disconnected from anything that she was actually thinking or feeling. And she reached forward and pat my hand. Well, it's just that, isn't it? It's luck. Our family, the women in our family, have always been lucky. Just like you used to say growing up. 
pulled my hand back, frustration sharpening my tone. It's not just luck, or at least not normal luck. I'm not stupid, and you need to tell me what's going on. She frowned at my tone and raised her hand. I didn't say it was normal luck, and you're my daughter. Obviously, you're not stupid, but it's also not something you should worry about or that you can control. When women in our family get to a certain age, it just kicks in. And yes, it takes some getting used to, and you'd have to be careful to not be too showy with it. But at the end of the day, it's truly a blessing. She gestured around all of her wealthy surroundings as if to say the proof was in the pudding. It hurts people. You know it does. It's like us being more lucky makes other people around us less lucky. Don't act like you don't realize that. My mother's eyes grew harder as she leaned toward me. (sighs) Grow up. Yes, I realize that. I also realize that the world is a hard fucking place and it doesn't need me or my luck for bad things to happen to good people. And beyond all that, what choice or say do I have in it? Are you wishing bad things on people? Are you getting people hurt or killed? No. You're just living your life. And if something outside your control gives you someone else's luck or however it actually works because it may surprise you to know I don't have all the answers, then what am I to do about it? Kill myself? Ruin my life because I don't deserve to be happy? What exactly would you have me do? Her voice raised and cracked at the last, and we sat in silence for several seconds. This was more emotion than I'd seen from her in years. I'm sorry. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just scared. And I feel something watching me all the time now. And I have this... I lifted my pant leg to show the brand above my ankle. It had paled some, but it was still visible in the afternoon light. It reminded me of a yin-yang symbol that had been broken along its curving center and straightened out into a simple serpentine line. I looked up to see my mother looking at my leg with an expression that was a mixture of distaste and fear. Yes, the marks. They will happen once a year, typically around the time of your birthday. She was wearing shorts and lifted her legs up for me to see. I could only see the faintest ghost of marks on her legs. They seemed to go side by side in rows to the extent they could be seen at all. You can get them removed with a laser. When you were little, I used to have makeup and stockings, but technology is a wonderful thing. They can give you a referral to a good surgeon that won't ask questions. But you don't wonder what it is? What we're a part of? She looked tired now, sitting back in her chair with a sigh. (sighs) Not really. I've lived with it for 28 years, taking the bad with the good, and the curiosity died out a long time ago. I was going to ask another question when something struck me. Is this what happened to Dad? I blurted out the question before I thought about how it sounded, and 
My mother looked like I'd struck her in the face. Her eyes began welling up as she stood up from the table, fists and jaw clenched. Get out. Within seconds, a slab of bodyguard was at my elbow, gently but firmly guiding me back through the condo to the elevator. My own vision was watery, and I rode back down in silence. In the weeks since, I haven't talked to my mother again, despite repeated attempts to apologize or explain myself. But that wasn't the worst of it. I went to the gym, and a guy lifting weights in the back started screaming when his feet slipped off the leg press machine and his knees were crushed. My 500 pounds of metal. I started taking walks in a local park, which was nice and soothing until I realized that at least once a week, I saw a dead bird or a squirrel on my path. Worst was the fire. I was walking to the bank around the corner from work when I heard a siren. And then two. And then three. As I turned the corner, I saw smoke billowing out of the fourth floor window. Decades earlier, it had been a large department store, but a few years back it was converted into expensive apartments. These apartments were now ablaze, and I could hear a woman shrieking from the top floor. At first I couldn't tell what she was saying, but then I made it out. Save baby catch her. By now I could see that she was burning. I could see as she tossed the infant out the window, a lash of flame reaching out, chasing the child, setting it alight. It didn't cry, and I tell myself it was already dead from the smoke, but I think I saw it moving for a moment when it struck the concrete below. When I got back to work later that morning, I ran to the bathroom and vomited. Usually very social, I found myself becoming more isolated, partially out of fear that the more someone was around me, the more likely it was that they would get hurt. Externally, my life continued humming along smoothly at every turn. Despite my self-exile, I found fast friends and helpful strangers at every turn. Despite my depression... I actually felt better, physically. I swear, I started to look better, too. I would notice these good things, even appreciate them at times through my numbness, but it didn't help me feel less alone. And then my grandmother came to visit. She'd just gotten back from her time in the UK and wanted to check in on her favorite granddaughter. Per our standard joke, I pointed out that I was her only granddaughter and she laughed and gave me a hug. She fixed us a delicious dinner out of the motley groceries I had at the moment, and we ate slowly while we talked, with most of the conversation about her travels or my work. She was the opposite of my mom in so many ways, and I'd always been close with her, even though her constant movement meant I would sometimes go long periods without seeing her in person. I debated whether to ask her about what was happening to us, not wanting to ruin the first fun I'd had in months, but when I did, she just smiled and nodded. 
I was wondering when you'd ask me about it. Your mother told me you'd spoken to her. She's not thrilled with you at the moment either, though that will pass with time. I'm glad you asked me. I felt myself wince at the mention of my mother, but I forced myself to press add. So, can you tell me more than she did? The woman nodded, her normally bright and mischievous eyes growing more serious. I can't. Not necessarily because I know more, but your mother... She has trouble talking about it. I wonder if she doesn't lie to herself about some parts of it. What parts? She folded her hands with a sigh. When I was young, younger than you, it came on me. It had been on my mother and her mother before that. Farther back than that, I don't know. And I don't know how it started or where it comes from. But from my experience, what I've learned and what I've observed with your mother and now you, this is how it works. It comes on you sometime between 15 and 30, or that seems to be the case. And once it starts, it lasts for 30 years. Not the luck part. Once you get the luck, it's yours forever. But the rest, the feeling something is with you, the marks, the people around you getting a raw deal, that just stops. Honestly, the bad luck for others seems like it's way worse for the first few months after it starts. It seems to you know, stabilize to some degree. I'm not going to say people still don't get hurt more than normal, but it's nothing like it must seem to you right now. Right now it's heightened, and right now you're also very sensitive about it, so you assume every slight misfortune is connected to you. I'm telling you it's not. The world is a hard place, and it doesn't need you or your luck for bad things to happen to good people. I frowned at that. That's what Mama said. She smiled. Well, she's got some sense after all. She paused and then shook her head. I need to be honest and tell you the whole thing. I felt my stomach lurch. What's the whole thing? Well, for one thing, I'm not an only child, at least not technically. Neither is your mother, and neither are you. We were all twins. As far back as I could find, the women have always carried twins. But only one child ever survives childbirth. Always a girl, and always the only child the woman ever has. I don't know why that is, just that it is. I felt like I was going to throw up. So all those babies... I know, honey. I know. It's best not to dwell on it, as it can be helped, but some things can be. Let's go on in the living room and I'll tell you the rest of what I know. If you're anything like me, and I know you are... You're probably dealing with this period of 
adjustment by isolating yourself from everyone around you. Am I right? I nodded glumly. I don't want to cause people to get hurt. My grandmother reached out across the sofa and patted my leg. I understand. I do. But there are several things you need to understand. First, you can't control this thing and you can't let it control you. Whatever this is, it doesn't decide who gets hurt on what you want or what you don't want. And it doesn't limit itself to people that you make physical contact with or even people you've ever met. Distance is a part of it, yes, but it's unreliable. Back in my 40s, I spent about five years obsessing over what kind of pattern there must be underneath all of this. We didn't have fancy things like internet back then, of course, but I started getting every newspaper in a 100-mile radius, then 500, then 1,000. By then, I was good at spotting the bad ones. The times when I felt like I was likely the thing that turned a fender bender into a funeral or bad wiring into a school fire. Some of that was me guessing or feeling guilty. That's why I was obsessed with it in the first place, of course, but... But you do develop a feel for it, I think. Almost as if you can see a thin, invisible cord stretching back to you or whatever lurks over your shoulder. Her gaze began to drift into some unseen distance, but she pulled herself back with a quick smile to me. But I'm getting sidetracked. I'm 86, so cut me some slack. So, I would keep track of these bad events from newspapers, people I knew, any source of information. All this bad luck, and over time I figured it out. There is no pattern. Sometimes weeks would pass with nothing out of the ordinary happening. Then there would be five things in one day. Sometimes they happen to people I knew. Sometimes they happen to people two states away. No rhyme or reason. Sometimes they happen to people I knew. Sometimes they happen to people two states away. No rhyme or reason. It just happened. She paused a moment and I spoke up. So how do you know it was tied to you, really? I mean, I know you said you felt it was, but how do you know for sure? The woman shrugged and gave me a sad smile. I guess I don't know for sure. Though, if I'm wrong, it means I have less bad things on my conscience, so that's a good thing in the end. But believe me, I feel pretty certain, in part because of my traveling. You know I've always traveled a lot. Well, like I said... You only have the negative parts of things for 30 years, and in my case, it started when I was 17. So by 47, I was done with everything but the good fortune. But by then, I'd already been searching for a pattern for years, and like you, I doubted I could rely on my sense of what was and what was not connected. Plus, my information was so limited, it's not like people's smaller problems and illnesses are going in the newspaper. I was only seeing the most sensational examples from articles and the handful of more personal accounts I got from people I knew. There were a lot of gaps, so that's when I started traveling. I naturally had plenty of money, so I was in a unique position to expand my investigation further. I rolled out a schedule of travel for two years that followed the same routine in each place. I started off by going to Rome, Italy. 
I got newspapers from the area for a month beforehand. The month I stayed there and the month after I left. It was harder while traveling to get everything delivered, even with the amounts I was paying, but I developed a clear picture over time. Bad luck was following at my heel like a hungry dog. When I came, misfortune followed. When I left, the dog went with me. I suppressed a shiver and swallowed, my tongue dry in my mouth. Not seeming to notice, my grandmother continued. I kept track of things until I was 56, but of course, it had all stopped long before then. By then, your mother had it, and not that long after you were born. She sighed, and I hoped it would skip her, that it would skip you, but it was a silly hope. She paused, sipping from her glass, her dark eyes studying me over it. I think I've made you more scared, not less. I'm sorry, sweetie. I've got the bad part out of the way first. Now the... Well, if not good, at least better. One, she held up a single finger as she spoke. The bad luck will never affect your daughter. They won't have our special luck until it comes to them. But they should never have an abnormal bad luck, either. I guess whatever it is protects the lion in that way. Two, you can find love and it be okay. Something my mother told me about, and I've found it to be true, is that your bad luck will never touch the person you love the most. So if you find that special someone, that truly special someone, they are kind of tucked under your umbrella with you. I don't know if it can change from person to person over time, or what all the rules are, but I do believe that it works. Third, she held up a third finger with a warm smile. You're not alone in this. I can help you through it best I can, and while I don't have all the answers, having someone to talk to can help. I suddenly felt my vision blurring with tears, and I leaned over, hugging the older woman tightly. She hugged me back and stroked my hair, and it wasn't long before I fell asleep. When I woke up, I was laying on my sofa with a blanket covering me. I rolled over and saw a note from my grandmother. Since she decided to leave me sleeping, but to call her in the next couple of days, and we'd get together again. Still blinking blearily, I went to the kitchen and saw the clock and the light coming in from outside that it was the next morning after our dinner. I stood for a moment, looking glumly into my refrigerator, debating cereal versus no breakfast, when my stomach gave a sudden lurch. I ran to the bathroom, making a last-second decision to throw up in the sink because I wouldn't have reached the toilet. The smell of vomit hit me, and I retched again, and then a third time. I practically never threw up, and now I had thrown up twice in a few days. My first thought was that I was getting a stomach bug, but then a terrible thought struck me. 20 minutes to the drugstore, and then on impulse into their bathroom to do the test. I peed on the stick, my hand shaking so bad I felt sure it wouldn't even register. But before the allotted time was even up, I had an answer. Positive. 
The stick couldn't tell me, but I knew it would be twins. The rest of the day was a blur of sadness and anxiety. I'd left the drugstore with the grim thought that I should either go to an abortion clinic or buy a lottery ticket, and I felt disgusted with myself for thinking it. Still, part of me couldn't help but feel like I was murdering at least one child by having either of them, at least that there was truly two like I suspected. Ultimately, I settled in on calling and getting a doctor's appointment for the following week before setting into a depressed stupor in my head. I didn't call my mother or grandmother, but later that night it struck me that I should call Brad. Back when I found out that Brad lost his job, I felt guilty. Maybe it was because of me, or maybe not, but I'd visit him, we'd talked, and ultimately we had sex. I knew immediately it was a mistake, and Brad, who clearly saw this as a sign that we were getting back together, took it hard when I let him know that it was an isolated thing. Not the first step to us getting back together. Since then, I hadn't talked to him, but I needed to now, because even though that had been over two months ago, I hadn't been with anyone else before or since. I didn't tell him the details over the phone, just said I needed to talk to him and that if he could meet me the next day. He agreed reluctantly, his tone guarded. He wanted to know what it was about, but... I remained vague and told him I'd see him the next day. We met at the food court of the mall he was working at now, having gotten a job at a clothing store a week before. He didn't have a long break, but it wound up not being a long conversation. I told him that I was pregnant, that I wasn't expecting anything from him, but I thought he had a right to know. He asked why I was telling him this now, and I explained that I'd just found out myself. He said it was bullshit, that I probably fucked ten guys since I gave him a pity screw, but that he was the only one with a job, so I thought I'd hang around his neck. Well, fuck that and fuck me. He stood up then, his neck straining and red, his eyes bulging. I'd never seen him so angry. I wondered for a second if he was going to hit me, but instead he spit at me and stormed off. The spit had been aimed at my face, but had gone short and wide to land on my arm. I grimaced, wiping it away with a napkin to the dispenser on the rickety food court table we'd been setting at. A few people nearby were dimly looking in my direction for the source of the commotion, but I didn't care. I felt shell-shocked and tired, but I also felt angry. None of this was my fault, and I was trying. I didn't deserve any of this bullshit, and I didn't deserve being talked to like I was some kind of fucking dog, being called a whore, being fucking spit on. I felt myself raging more and more as I drove home. Even when I went to bed that night, I kept replaying that scene of him yelling and spitting on me as I fell into a fitful, restless sleep. It was two days later that I heard that the day after I'd met him, Brad had been on a ladder at work, hanging up a bracket when he'd fallen. Somehow, his mouth had gotten hooked on a metal coat rod that was on the way down, shoving the large metallic disc at the end of it up through the roof of his mouth and snapping his neck. He died later on the way to the hospital. 
I've called my grandmother, but I haven't heard back. I may try talking to my mother again, but I don't know if she'll even talk to me. I don't know what to do, or who will even read this, but I feel like I'm being crushed down, squeezed, and pressurized more every day, becoming a black hole that just eats light and life. It needs to get better, or I don't know how long I can make it. Final addition to the century. I've just gone through my mail from the last few days, and I've won two different cruises. So unless I change my mind or get in touch with my grandmother or mother, I'm going to leave for a few days and go. I wouldn't think the ship would sink with me on it, and I could at least inflict myself on a different part of the world for a while. I'll write another update as soon as I can. I'm writing this entry on my fifth day aboard the Lodestar, a luxury cruise ship in the Mediterranean Sea. I've never heard of the cruise company before, and I hadn't signed up for any contest to win, either this or the other cruise I'd won in the mail, but between the two, this one was farther from home, so it won out. I wanted to be away from everything familiar, away from myself if it was possible. Of course, the opposite had been the case. The trip started off well enough. I flew out to Atlanta, my heart thudding as the plane took off. I kept being haunted by the idea of all flights that crashed where only a few people survived. I wasn't very worried about myself, but I didn't want to be responsible for the people around me being hurt or dying. I'd be lying if I said it was a pleasant flight, but as I felt myself tensing at the slightest noise or shimmy of turbulence but other than hearing several people complaining about small inconveniences like their phone dying or something being wrong with their meal, the trip was uneventful. We landed in Barcelona, and from there, I took a taxi to the docks where the ship was boarding. After going through the initial check-in and handing over the suitcase I brought, I went up the series of small ramps to the ship itself. It was beautiful feeling more like a fancy hotel than a big boat until you looked out a window. The ship left the port, and while I could occasionally feel the slight motion of the water we were slipping through, I felt no signs of seasickness. I'd had a few times before I'd been on the water growing up. I felt a combination of gratefulness and bitterness, as I guessed the reason for the change, but pushing the thought aside, I tried to focus on exploring the ship. And the ship was... Truly massive, filled with rooms, three restaurants, a casino, four pools, and even a small ice rink on one of the lower levels. I considered trying to kill time in the casino, but my stomach turned at the idea of having a constant reminder of winning. Instead, I went up to one of the upper decks and looked out at the water. It's June as I write this, and the weather has been warm, but not hot, with the cool air coming off the sea being both gentle and refreshing. I felt myself starting to relax slightly as the hours went by uneventfully. I actually started to enjoy myself, or at least not just hate myself so much. The next day we landed in Italy, near Florence, and while I debated getting off the ship at all, I was glad when I did. The city was beautiful, with such a weight of history and artistry around every corner. I started out with one of the ship's tour groups, but... I felt uncomfortable around so many people. 
Splitting off by myself, I traveled some of the smaller streets away from the main piazzas, dipping in and out of shops and grabbing a sandwich to eat as I walked. Being alone with so many things to distract me, I actually felt good for the first time in months. The next two days were much the same. The ship stopped in Rome, and then Venice, and I had days of solitary sightseeing that were peaceful. The fourth full day at sea was actually called an at-sea day, with the ship not landing at any port on its way to a stop along the coast of Croatia. Naturally, that led to a lot of people to take the day to relax by the pools, and I was no different. I'd set up in a lounge chair away from other people, my face barely shaded by a nearby umbrella. I wasn't showing up yet, and my old bathing suit still fit me, but it still struck me how little I cared about how I looked anymore. Occasionally, I'd see a guy looking at me, weighing his odds if he came over, but clearly my expression told them all they needed to know. I rounded myself with my mother, never truly laughing or smiling, just putting on faces as was needed for the task at hand. I'd closed my eyes, trying to force those thoughts away and maybe take a nap, when the strong smell of cinnamon hit my nostrils. The smell was so strong and sharp that I sat up immediately and opened my eyes almost involuntarily. That's when I found a young woman standing nearby, her smile seeming genuine as she gave a light laugh. She gestured to the chair near mine. Is this taken? I shook my head, and she plopped down, spreading her hair out behind the top edge of the chair and settling back. I thought it was strange that she picked the spot when there were plenty of open chairs, but I was about to lay back down when she spoke again. So what smell is it? I froze mid-lay down and turned back to her. What? She rolled on her side and propped her head on her hand as she looked at me. She looked to be about 20 and was on the beautiful side of pretty, but also seemed strange. Not just in what she was saying, but her manner, her movements, the meter of her words, they all seemed slightly off from what I would expect someone of her age. Then she was speaking again. When I came up, you smelled a strong smell, right? What was it? I blinked. Cinnamon? She laughed and gave a nod. <laughs> That's lucky. Sometimes you get a burning trash or dog shit smell or strong cheese. I hate cheese. Except for American, which is mainly plastic anyway, right? I felt like I'd stumbled in the middle of a conversation she was having with someone else. I don't understand. The woman gave me a shake of her head. Sorry, not trying to be mysterious or weird. Just been looking forward to talking to you, running off at the mouth. She stopped a minute, looking around before continuing. When I got near you, I smelled coconut. Those of us with... The luck is what most of us call it. We can smell when each other are near can even predict what the smell will be like, and once it's smelt, it's always the same for that person. So, again, better you smelled cinnamon than dog shit when I showed up. Because that can't happen. She gave another laugh. 
My mind was racing, and I wasn't sure what to believe or what to say. I didn't want to admit anything in case this was a misunderstanding or a trick, but I also didn't want to give up the chance to possibly learn more about what was going on. Ultimately, I just lamely blurted out, I don't smell my mother or grandmother. The woman's face grew more serious for a moment before lightning again. Well, it doesn't happen inside your own family. I don't know why, but I don't know why the smells happen in the first place. She studied me for a moment. Did they tell you there were other families like yours? I shook my head and she reached over to pat my arm. <laughs> well, this is even weirder for you then. I'm sorry. She pushed herself up to a sitting position, folding her legs underneath her. Okay. There are other families that have it too, just like yours. Not many, of course. I know about eight. Well, seven, now. She frowned, but pushed on. To answer some questions you might have off the bat, yes, it's always girls. Yes, the rules are the same for everyone. Yes, a lot of it sucks, but you can learn to live with it and use the rules in your favor. The girl beamed as though she just finished a sales pitch, which, in some ways, she had. I shrugged in return. I guess. I just... I'm so tired. So guilty feeling for all these people I'm hurting. She nodded. Understandable. I totally get it. But once you come to terms with people getting hurt and that you can influence who that is, it becomes easier. It becomes easier to channel the bad into something more positive. Noticing my confused stare, she went on. Okay. <laughs> wow. They told you very little. She swung her feet back onto the chair, turning out to face the pool. Alright. You see the little guy across the way sitting next to the bar? The one with the glasses. I nodded. Yeah? So? She turned her gaze to me. So he's a convicted child molester. Two months after he got paroled, he got a letter in the mail saying that he had won a free cruise. This cruise. Lucky, right? She gave me a wink. Now, during his trip, I made it a point to talk to him for a few minutes. Make sure I have a clear memory and feel for him. And a few days from now, when he's back home, lying to his parole officer that he hadn't left the city, much less the country, he'll have some really bad luck. And that will be the story of him. But How? I thought we didn't control it. She wagged her hand back and forth. Eh, we do and we don't. It's going to happen regardless. We can't stop it, that's for sure. But you can channel it to a large degree. If you go to sleep thinking about someone with a deep anger or hatred toward them, most of the time they're going to get popped in the next day or two. And you'll find that very little other stuff happens if you give the bad a direction regularly. I thought about Brad and felt nauseous, but pressed on. So, how did you pick him? How did you know about him in the first place? The girl grinned. Oh, this is my ship. My cruise line. It's semi-profitable, but its real purpose is that once or twice a year I also take a cruise myself. On those trips, I make sure I have a dozen or so people show up that can go onto my list. Pedophiles, murderers, people that the world is better without. And I chat with them some, 
get enough so that I can put some feeling behind it when the time comes. And then they go home. Then, sometime later, it might be a week, a few months, I'll do my part. And they'll feed whatever this thing really is. I sat for a moment, thinking about what she was saying. Was it true? And why hadn't her mother or grandmother told her about it? About any of this? She didn't know what to believe or whether she could trust this woman at all. How long have you been doing this? Her grin widened. Fifty-two years, give or take. My mother did it a little before she passed, and I knew some other families do variations on it as well, but I like to think I've perfected it. I'm helping the world, and myself too. I sucked in a breath as I spoke. How old are you? Seventy-three. She paused and raised a hand. I know how it sounds with you being so new to it all, but I've been doing this pretty much since it came on to me, and there are certain benefits to directing it beyond your conscience. You don't really age, and your body can get even younger and stronger depending on how frequently you do it. Plus, it really does make you look better, or at least closer to how you would want yourself to look. You won't look like a totally different person, but more like the best version of yourself. Believe me, some people have a very broad range they can travel in that regard. Before this stuff hit me, my face looked like someone took a shit at the top of an ugly tree. She swung herself back around to facing me, her face serious again. Look, I know this is a ton of stuff to take in. If not for all you've been through, you would think it's all made-up shit, but I've been keeping an eye on you, and I think you've seen enough to know that what I'm saying is possible. You just have to decide how much trust you can put in it, and me. I frowned at her. I don't know how much I can trust. Why have you been keeping an eye on me? The woman sighed, and for the first time, she looked truly sad. I used to be your mother's best friend. She wasn't introduced to all of this just a few months before it came on her, but our families have always gotten along fairly well, so we were that introduction. Me and her became close really quickly. She always smelled like cotton candy to me. She smiled, her eyes glimmering. I was with her when she met your father. He was handsome, such a good guy. She loved him so much. She stopped and rubbed her eyes. But things happened, and she cut ties from everyone. Even me. She was pregnant with you at the time, so I never got to meet you before now, but I've always kept an eye out. What things happened? I'm so tired of people not telling me everything. What happened back then that changed everything so much? She was shaking her head before I even finished. I'm sorry, Eliza, but I, I I can't get into that. I don't know all the details, and even if I did, that's for your mother to tell. It won't be easy for her, but I think if you push her on it, she'll be honest. I gave a bitter laugh. <laughs> she won't even return my calls. The only person that will talk to me even more, aside from, I guess, you now, is my grandmother. The woman's face hardened, her expression dark. Well, go to her then. Make her talk. After you've talked to her, I'm happy to talk to you again. 
to help in any way that I can, but please, if you take nothing else I've said to heart, listen to me on this. Do not trust that other woman, the one you call grandmother. My eyes widened. <laughs> what? Why? She's my grandmother. She's always looked out for me. She shook her head. No, she isn't, and no, she hasn't. What are you saying? She reached forward, gripping my hand tightly. I'm saying that fucking bitch isn't your grandmother, and she is extremely dangerous. That's what I'm saying. A number of days have passed since my last entry, and I've been back home for close to a week as I write this. I left off in the middle of talking to Rosalind, who refused to answer any more questions for now, and soon laughed after telling me her name so I could confirm her identity with my mother. I didn't know how much I trusted what she said, and the idea that my grandmother wasn't who I thought she was. Well, it shook me, but I didn't know if I could ever believe that. And if she was wrong or lying about that, how much weight could I give to the rest? Still, I needed to try and talk to my mother again anyway, so this at least gave me a stronger purpose in doing so. Two days later, I was off the ship, and the following day, I was back at my mother's house in Atlanta. I'd not called ahead, and there was some delay at the front desk as messages were carried back and forth upstairs, but ultimately, I was escorted up and taken to my mother who sat on a sofa reading a tablet. The room was likely intended to be a library of sorts, but without any books, it looked bare and gloomy. It suited the woman that occupied it. My mother had lost some of her fake glow since I saw her last. She looked up at me, not unkindly, but with a wariness that I wasn't used to. Setting down the tablet, she patted the sofa next to her. Come and sit down. Glad you're here. She looked at the guard. We're fine. Leave us alone. The man hesitated. I said, go. Nodding silently, the man ducked back through the door and closed it behind him. The whole exchange was strange, but I wanted to get some things out before the conversation got derailed again. Look, I'm sorry how things were left she raised her hand to silence me. No. That was my fault. I overreacted. My guilt has given me a thick skin and a sour disposition. Those things aren't your fault. She reached over and rubbed my back with the palm of her hand. There's things I need to tell you. I should have told you a long time ago, and I certainly need to tell you now that you're involved yourself. I nodded, but... I felt like I needed to get something out first. I met Rosalind. I went on a cruise, and it was her ship. She told me some things. She said that she was your friend. Her eyes widened as I spoke, and as I said friend, I watched her face crumple into tears. After a moment, she regained her composure and nodded. She was. She was my best friend. One of only a couple of people I could talk to about any of this before I met your father, and 
I'm not sure what all she told you, but it's probably much of what I'm going to say. I broke in. She said something happened. I think something bad, but she never knew what exactly and said it was for you to tell me, not her. I could see relief lighten her features as she relaxed a bit. That sounds like her. And she probably knows more than she's letting on. Her family has always been good at getting information on everyone. But, in any case, I need to get to telling you. We have limited time. I nodded, wanting to ask more questions, but remaining silent. First, this room is the only room that isn't bugged. And that's only because I've disabled the surveillance for the moment. They check it every couple of days, but I wanted to do it until I knew you were here to see me again. As for who they is, you need to understand that these guards aren't mine. They aren't really guards at all. They're jailers. It's the same reason I don't have the same house staff anymore. The same reason I don't travel anymore. Things have gotten much more restrictive the past few months. But why? How? Her expression grew angry. There are other interests in play here than just us or even other families that are marked like we are. So, I don't know all of it. But I know who imprisoned me. It's this woman you know as your grandmother. She's not your grandmother. She's actually your great-great-grandmother, Emily Burke. How is that possible? Her eyes lowered and her voice grew thin. The anger burned down to a smoky residue around the edges of her words. With my help. I, when this all happened to me, Emily was there. She was my great-grandmother, and yes, she'd always seemed far younger than her age, which was around 90 when I was 10. But I knew women in our family aged well, and when they introduced me to Rosalind and her family, to the strange luck we carry, it explained why. At first, it sounded magical. Stay young and healthy forever, or at least a really long time, and have wonderful luck to boot? I was young and stupid, and I tried to ignore the downsides they were talking to me about. She let out a sigh. And then when the luck came on me, I watched a school bus catch fire with half a baseball team on it. They were screaming, clawing at the windows as their skin stuck and slid off against the glass. I can still smell it a lot of mornings when I wake up. She gave a shudder. I would like to say I went crazy, but that's an excuse. Seeing that, knowing I was responsible, it broke me a little. It gave me enough of a crack for Emily to crawl in. Over the next couple of years, her and Rosalind were my world, my support system. I'd never known my grandmother, though she was still alive, and my mother had always been a hard, distant woman that... Well, she was a vicious, spiteful bitch. That made it much easier when Emily came to me worried, saying that my mother was trying to kill her. I frowned. How would that even work? Well, 
What I was told by Emily, which was only a partial truth, was that if two people with the mark focus their hatred and anger on another marked person on the same night as they go to sleep, they would overcome that person's protection and the targeted person would fall. She claimed that my mother was working with Rosalind's mother to kill her, and that she'd barely survived at two different accidents within the past few days. But why? She looked at me closely. Because if you kill a member of your line in that way, it makes you much stronger and younger. It's why I look like this. You can get some small benefit from directing it toward other people. I've heard Rosalind's family does that a lot. I haven't had the heart to direct it since everything that happened with Emily, but I can see the evidence of what I did every day when I look in the mirror. She looked away. I... This isn't easy to talk about. Bear with me. And try not to hate me more than you have to. I didn't know what to say, so I remained silent. And then she went on. Emily was so earnest, so upset, so convincing. It only took a short time for me to believe her, and of course, she had worked in the benefits to me if I helped. And I'd be lying if I said it didn't make it all the more palatable. As much as I hated hurting people at first, as the months had gone by, I'd gotten more numb to it. I loved being beautiful. I loved the way people treated me, looked at me, wanted to be me. I was stupid and selfish and vain. And that's just what she was looking for. She paused rubbing her face and seeming to have to physically force herself to go on. After it was done, she told me the truth. That my mother had been conspiring to kill a member of the family, but it hadn't been Emily. It had been Emily's daughter, my grandmother. And she'd been doing it with Emily. Emily had used my mother to kill her own daughter and then used me to kill my mother. When I asked her why, she laughed. She said it only worked when two of the same family teamed up against the third, and she wanted to live a long time. She'd figured out over the years that if you occasionally ate some of your family's lives, you could get by just fine and have less risk to yourself. By this point, I'd married your father and was carrying you and your brother. I knew only you would make it and had somewhat accepted it. I was looking forward to having you, to loving you. You and your dad were the only reasons I didn't try to kill myself right then. I cut all ties with her, of course. I did the same with Rosalind, out of shame. Years went by. You grew up. You were such a wonderful child. I loved you so much. But I always kept some distance from you, too. As through my dirt, my sin might rub off on you. I hated myself so much. But I loved the two of you with all my heart. As you got older, I got more and more worried because I knew your time would be coming. I ultimately broke down and told your father everything. He'd known parts before, but he didn't know about what me and Emily had done. 
He could have left me for that or hated me. Instead, he came up with a big plan to get away. Take you and disappear so that hopefully Emily would never find us again. Her voice cracked. Somehow she found out. I never knew how. But that's why your father died, because she killed him. She came to me later, telling me to never try to run again, that this family belonged to her, and as long as we stayed in line, everything would be fine. I frowned. But why didn't you loving Dad protect him? I thought it can't touch the ones you love the most. She looked up at me sadly. Baby, that's that's true, but the one I loved the most was you. My mother and I hugged each other and wept, but she reminded me that our time was limited and there was still much to talk about. She told me more about the years since my father's death and how she had become more and more withdrawn and isolated, at first by choice. But as I had grown older and it seemed increasingly likely that I would be getting the luck soon, Emily had imposed more restrictions on her as well. A security detail that was meant to spy on her and keep her from doing anything rash. Threats against both her and myself if she tried to tell me the truth. She knew that Emily's plan was likely to gain my trust and trick me into helping kill my mother the same way my mother herself had been tricked, and that keeping the two of us separated was key. Tears were turning to her eyes, she grabbed my hand. I'm sorry again for how I acted before, for not telling you more before now. I think a part of me wanted her plan to work wanted an end to all of this for myself. I've lived so long with this pain and guilt, and for a time I would go through spells where I'd try to kill myself, but of course I couldn't. I squeezed her hand back, intent on listening, but her last statement gave me pause and some low tickling in the back of my brain. What do you mean you couldn't? She shrugged and gave me an embarrassed look. Just that. I tried to hang myself, the rope broke. I tried to shoot myself, the gun jammed. Poison had no effect other than a bit of diarrhea. Razor blades would literally slip out of my hand whenever I brought them near my wrists. The idea of her being beaten down for so long, so alone, felt like it was crushing me. I wanted to comfort her, but I still felt that low tickling, stronger now, and I needed to press on. Did you ever try to get someone else to kill you? She rubbed her face and nodded. Yes, twice. Same thing. They couldn't hurt me. It's an aspect of the luck we don't think about as much because it's much more obvious when something good or lucky happens than when you avoid something bad happening. But yes, I don't think we can be seriously hurt by normal means. Why are you telling me all this now? What, what changed? Giving my hand another squeeze, she let go and sat up straighter. 
I realized I needed to stop being a coward. I couldn't let you fall into the same trap that's held me all these years. I don't know how much knowing will help you, but at least it's something. I'm finally doing something. The tickle had pushed its way forward to the forefront of my mind. I had a plan. Or at least the start of a plan. I shook my head. You're not doing something yet. But you will. We both will. We're going to end this. In the few minutes we had left, I outlined the rough sketch of my idea, and we figured out more details. By the time the guard came back in to tell my mother that she was going to be late for a phone conference if we didn't stop now, we knew what had to be done. The preparations took nearly a week, helped along immensely by Rosalyn, who was able to get us details on both the security watching over my mother and Emily, as well as where Emily was going to be for the next few days. My mother's security detail consisted of five guards rotated in and out on a 12-hour basis, with the ideas being that at any given time she would have two to three guards with her. It wasn't hard to arrange a night where my mother, myself, and Rosalind all fell asleep thinking of a different guard. The next day in the aftermath of one of the guards calling in sick, one dying as he drove to her condo, and one falling and inexplicably breaking his hip while patrolling her home, my mother was ready to head out with us. But as she approached the elevator, the door slid open and the other two guards appeared. They gave her wary smiles and told her she needed to stay put for her safety. She shot the first one in the head with the gun the injured guard had somehow lost in his fall. She never fired a gun before outside of trying to end her own life, but there was no jam or misfire this time, and the bullet struck him dead, sent her in the forehead. The second guard moved to tackle her, but tripped at the last moment, his weight and momentum carrying him headfirst into the wall behind her. When he didn't stir after a few seconds, she took the elevator downstairs and met us in the parking lot. I say us because Rosalyn had insisted on coming along. I told her that she'd helped enough, but she wasn't hearing it. She said she'd failed my mother for years by not coming and offering help, but she was done failing her now. When my mother reached the car, the two of them began to laugh and cry as they hugged each other, spinning in a slow circle in the parking lot. I watched for over a minute before reminding them that we had a plane to catch. Emily had a large house outside of Enniscorthy, Ireland, and it took some time to reach it. We flew into Gatwick and then to Dublin before renting a car and heading south. Taking the train would have been nice, but we had picked up some items from a contact of Rosalind when we hit Dublin, and it didn't seem wise to push our luck by going through boarding on a public train. We needed to save every drop of that luck for what was coming next. The manor house was beautiful with thick, leaded glass windows and peaks done in the Tudor style. There was a large garage behind the house, and some distance away I could see a stable, though I saw no signs of horses or other animals. For that matter, I saw no sign of people, either, and I felt my stomach begin to drop. I don't think she's here. I looked over at Rosalind with a questioning look. She was driving, but she also rolled to a stop, and she gave me a comforting smile. No worries. 
She's here. There will be two guards and housemaid, too. But that's it. She glanced back at my mother. All the way across the Atlantic and then back across the Irish Sea, they'd been talking almost nonstop, catching up on nearly three decades of missing each other. But as we'd grown closer to Emily's house, my mother had grown more and more silent. Rosalind poked her knee. You okay? You ready? I turned around into my seat to look at my mother. She looked small and frail. A pale skin, big eyes. She swallowed before she spoke. I... I don't know. I'm afraid I'll mess up. I'm scared of her. She... She's not really human anymore, I don't think. She's lived so long. Rosalind shook her head. (laughs) No, that's bullshit. You won't mess up. And whatever she is or isn't, this ends now. You can do this. Her tone softened as she added, We're here for you. We're all in this together. My mother nodded and looked up at me. I tried to smile, pushing down my own fears and worries. Let's go fuck this old bitch up. As I turned back around, I saw that the front of the door of the manor had opened and a burly-looking man was coming towards the car. I got out, ready to talk to him, but then I saw the knife in his hand. I let out a small yelp as I tried to dodge to my left, my hands fumbling with the gun I had tucked at my back. But he was fast and anticipated my dodge, and in the same moment my gun came free from my waistband, I saw the knife coming up in an arc that would likely gut me. I couldn't think of anything else in that fraction of an instant, so I pulled the trigger. The gun was behind my back, in my non-dominant hand, and not even remotely pointed towards the man, but in the moment, there wasn't time for a rational thought or consideration, just instinct and reaction. I heard the crack of a gun and a dim tink sound on my right, and that's when the man's head caved in, the force of the bullet turning him just enough that the knife passed by harmlessly a couple of inches away from my belly. I stared at the man's lifeless body for a couple of seconds, but was startled out of my revere by a second gunshot. I looked up to see a second guard falling just outside the front door as Rosalind began to lower her gun. She shot me a glance as she shrugged. No need in letting him get close. Not everyone can be fancy like you. She gestured to the left bumper of the car where there was now a new dent. It took me a second to realize that it was where my bullet had ricocheted before killing the man attacking me. I swallowed and gave a weak smile. My mother was out of the car now, her hands trembling slightly, but her expression set and grim. I thought about making a Charlie's Angels joke, but suppressed the urge. The three of us shared a look and then headed into the manor without another word. It only took a few moments of exploration to find Emily in a large room off the main hallway. All of the furniture, except for one chair, had been moved to the perimeter of the room. And I noticed that a large floor rug had been rolled up and tucked into a corner as well. It looked like she was expecting us. When we entered, she stayed seated in the plush chair that occupied the center of the room. 
While her overall appearance was pretty much the same, this was the first time I was seeing her without the false mask of love and warmth. Her dark eyes glittered with a strange, almost insectile malignity, and her mouth, normally smiling and expressive, hung slack as dead meat. When she started talking, I found myself imagining a bone puppet covered in corpse meat, dancing, causing the lifeless flesh to jiggle and sway. Welcome, children. I see you've all come to visit. Decided to gang up on me, hey? She gave a wet and unpleasant chuckle as she took us all in with her cold glare. Have you two been wishing me dead in your jammies last night? She pointed two fingers at me and my mother, waggling them mockingly as she spoke. That's real cute. She paused, seeming to consider something for a moment before continuing. But I can tell you it won't work. I've been at this a lot longer than any of you, and I'm a lot stronger. It's not all about who you wish bad luck onto, you know. It's also about willpower. I've shown that I'm willing to survive. All any of you have ever done is eat scraps and cry over spilt milk. Her eyes raked over us. So this is it. Last chance. Last warning. Go home. Live your lives and enjoy that wonderful luck because if you stay, I'm going to eat you all up. Her mouth stretched into a crooked yellow leer. I had a second worry that my mother would cave, but then she was walking towards Emily gun out. Fuck you. You've taken enough from all of us. You're going to die today, and we're going to help it along. She began to fire, each shot seemingly aimed right at Emily, yet somehow the bullets would miss her, sending off sparks on the stone wall and the marble floor behind her, tearing small chunks out of the chair she was sitting in. Rosalind and I joined in, both moving out in different directions so that between the three of us, we were all shooting at her several feet and over a hundred degrees apart. Still nothing. Her hair was a ruin now, but no bullet, no wood, shrapnel, not even a speck of dirt seemed to have touched her. I could feel my heart thudding now with confusion and fear, and this was only intensified when she stood up. We were all reloading, but I didn't know if it would matter. It was clear that she wasn't afraid of guns. As I slammed home the clip and racked the slide of my gun, I saw long curved knives appear in both of Emily's hands. She looked at each of us for a moment before settling her gaze on my mother. My turn. I've never seen a person move so fast. I could barely make sense of what I was seeing. She lunged forward toward my mother, who tried to move and fell in the process. The fall saved her from the first blow, but I didn't know how long her luck would hold out. Emily pivoted and struck out again, with my mother rolling to the side at the last moment. A third strike and a near miss, and then a fourth with no hit. I felt hope begin to bloom that even if we weren't able to kill Emily, she would be unable to kill us either. Then my mother screamed. The fifth blow had struck home in her stomach, and now Emily was straddling her, jamming the other knife in beside the first. I screamed and ran toward them, shoving my gun against the side of Emily's head. 
I pulled the trigger over and over and over, but nothing happened. Emily turned to look at me, her lips peeled back from her teeth, gray spittle flying out the corners of her mouth. She was about to say something when my mother interrupted her. I looked back to my mother in time to register two things. First, that she was telling me she loved me. Second, that she had just pulled the pin on a grenade. In a blur of motion before Emily could react, my mother pulled herself to wrap her arms tight around Emily, digging the blades deeper into her abdomen and wedging the live grenade between them. A moment later, me and Rosalind were flung back by the concussive force of the explosion. I think I blacked out for a moment, but when I came to, I realized I was unharmed. I rolled over and sat up, and some distance away, I saw Rosalind doing the same. We both turned to the smoking center of the room, where the remains of my mother lay smoldering. Emily was a couple of feet away, slowly crawling for the door as she left a slug trail of blood and burned flesh behind her. I wanted to cry and scream, but more than that, I wanted to finish Emily. As I stood up shakily, I saw Rosalind pulling out a thin piece of serrated wire with wooden handles on the end. She looked as shaken as I was, but I wasn't sure she looked as shocked. In any case, there was no time to wander now. Any moment an ambulance would pull up and save Emily or some other improbable coincidence would intervene to her benefit. Rosalind handed me one of the handles and together we looped the wire around the front of Emily's neck, tugging tightly as we saw teeth found purchase in her flesh. We both put a foot to one of her shoulders, stopping her struggling as we began to saw rhythmically back and forth as she gurgled in bloody protest. Five passes, and we were to the spine. Another five, and the head was off completely. I went to the kitchen and found some lighter fluid along with a frightened housemaid that I sent away with a shooing gesture. We burned the head until it was just black bone. When that was done, we sat against the wall of the room in silence for some time before I spoke. I tried to make my words even and non-accusatory, but I could hear the anger in them when they came out. You knew she was going to sacrifice herself, didn't you? I was staring ahead, but I could see Rosalind shift uncomfortably next to me. Yeah, I did. Your plan, it was a good one, but it was what Emily would expect, and we didn't really know how strong she was. She gave a bitter laugh pretty strong. Shaking her head, she continued. But she wouldn't expect self-sacrifice from your mother. The idea wouldn't even occur to someone like her. So you were directing it toward Emily, which weakened her prediction, but wouldn't allow her to be killed. But instead of joining you in wishing Emily dead, your mother was wishing it on herself. She knew that Emily would be wishing her dead too, both because she hoped to still use you in the future, but because she would hate that your mother was defying her all this time. She wouldn't be able to help herself, even if she didn't think it would amount to anything. I shook my head. She didn't have to do that. My plan would have worked. You should have stopped her or told me so I could have. 
I glared at her, feeling my anger and grief building as the reality of it all began to sink in. Rosalind sighed. Sweetie, maybe your plan would have worked. I don't know, but I know she seemed confident in being able to take all three of us, luck or no, when she was pushed to it. There aren't any guarantees in life, much less than something as fucked up as all this, but your mother wasn't going to take that chance. She knew that her own luck would be neutralized, enough for the grenade to go off, and that Emily's own luck should be weak enough for her to be hurt by the blast if she was close enough. She relied on us being okay from it, and our own luck being enough to help finish Emily off, which we did. I understood the logic, but it didn't make me feel any better. But she's gone now. I was just getting to know her again, or maybe know her at all. Rosalind scooted over closer to me to give me a hug. At first I resisted, but she was determined, and I finally gave in. After a few seconds, Rosalind spoke again. I know, honey, and I believe you'll see her again someday, but she needed to do this. She loved you so much, but she was so ashamed of herself, blamed herself for so much. This was her way of protecting us and atoning a little at the same time. I nodded, crying harder. Rosalind called someone to come gather up my mother's remains so we could get them transported back home, and as soon as that was done, we left. We spent the last few days in London, and as I write this, we're waiting to board Rosalind's plane back to the U.S. I don't know what comes next in all of this, but that's okay. Hopefully the worst is over. I still have my luck, and I can tell I'm much stronger now. A byproduct of us killing Emily, I suppose. For now, I'm going to go home and start preparing for my baby to come. And when she gets here, I'm going to make sure she knows how lucky she is. Not because of some magic we don't understand, but because of the people that love her and the sacrifices they've made. And I'll try to teach her to value what's really important. And I hope that's enough. <laughs>